Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 265. I'm your host, John X. Thanks for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And man, how are you holding up during COVID? Look, Labor Day is over. That means summer is over. And that means I'm a little bit blue because summer is by far and away my favorite season. I know everyone gets all horny for fall, and that's fine, and that's your business. Fall is nice. It's my silver medal of a season, but I'm going to miss summer. And one of the reasons is summer is perfect time in COVID times for socially distant gatherings. Now, that means in my backyard and in other people's backyards, I have talked to other adults while wearing masks or while standing in the proper distance apart or whatever. And I've enjoyed that. That has been nice. That has been like a return to normal. Remember quarantine? That was brutal. It was like March, which is Colorado's snowiest month, and we're all locked in our homes, and it sucks, and it's brutal. That's just around the corner, and I know it, and it's bumming me out. But that's not why I'm here today, to bitch about the weather and complain about the seasons. No, what I am here to do is talk about how one of those socially distant gatherings yielded me today's guest. Her name is Kitty Vincent, and Kitty is the owner of Revolver Salon in Denver. She is also the lead guitar player of a cool band called Zealot. We talk about both those things on this podcast. And one of the things that I love is when I connect with people in the entrepreneur and or creative community in Denver. It's like my favorite thing. That's the reason for this show's existence. And when you hear the story of how Revolver came into being, it's pretty harrowing. Like, no joke, fairly typical origin story. Work for someone else. Go into a partnership, go, this doesn't work. I know how to do this better. I'm going to start my own deal. But there's a turn in the story, and the fact that she was able to scrape and claw and fight and keep this thing open in the first two very difficult years of its existence, man, it's worth the price of admission alone. I'll just tell you that. I'm not going to spoil it because I'm tired of people in the intro spoiling every element of the podcast. I realized I used to do that. And I'm listening to a podcast right now. I'm not going to embarrass them by giving you their name, but they do it at the beginning of every episode. So I've gotten to the point where I just fast forward that entire thing. It's deeply, deeply frustrating. In this week's episode, Kitty is just a ray of sunshine. I love talking to her. You are getting nothing but candor and good vibes and, and a little bit of attitude. It's exactly what I'm looking for. So the fact that I connected with her at a four-year-old's birthday party, man, that just makes me happy. It's always cool when you meet other parents where you're like, oh, thank God. Like, you're not all dorky squares. There are parents out there that are normal, that have, like, outside interests, that still engage in art and music and creativity and weird stuff in the community. I love that. I crave that. I dig that. Kitty is that. It's awesome. You should check out her salon. It's called Revolver. It's at the corner of Colfax and Steel. Pretty much central Denver right there. Hit up Revolver. If you're looking for a new salon, if you're looking for a new look, if you're looking for a great vibe... They are, and she talks about this, going above and beyond in terms of COVID protections. They've got your health at heart. They care about you, and they will give you a great look. So the address is 1489 Steel Street, Unit C. That's Denver, 80206. 
Hit them up on their website. You can learn more about them. It's revolversalondenver.com. You can find links to that and everything else that I talk about in this episode in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or on the John of All Trades companion blog piece, that's johnofalltrades.us, you can find everything you need to know about both Revolver and her band Zealot. Now, I listened to these guys for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and the thing I love most about it is the first track. It's called Somnambulist. And I'm like, nice. Like, that's a good 50-cent word. And it's such a fun word to describe a sleepwalker. The way the CD kicks off, man, it's like getting shot out of a cannon. And that's what I'm looking for in my music vibe. If that ain't for you, you know what? Drink a cup of coffee, get yourself a Red Bull or something, and then listen to it. You'll be in the right mood for it. It's amazing. You'll dig it. So you'll find links to Zealot as well in those show notes. One additional plug from me, last week I had the privilege of being on the Discussion Combustion podcast with Kevin and Art. Those guys are super cool. Be sure to go hit up their website. Those guys are doing such a good job. They record it on YouTube. It's on Podcatchers Everywhere. Just search Discussion Combustion Podcast. You'll find it on episode 66. We had a great conversation about everything from parenting during quarantine to my favorite places to go in Portland, Oregon. Kind of all over the place, but that's part of the fun, isn't it? Now then, enough about me. Let's get to this week's episode. Number 265 features Kitty Vincent. She is the owner of Revolver Salon. She is also the lead guitar player of Zealot. We spend time talking about entrepreneurship, talking about the impacts of COVID, talking about her band, talking about all sorts of cool stuff. This episode goes by in a flash because Kitty, as I said, just an absolute ray of sunshine, wonderfully and disarmingly candid, and just full of good humor and good cheer. So let's get to it. Episode 265, Kitty Vincent, owner of Revolver Salon, lead guitarist in Zealot. Her episode starts right now. I'm behind the chair on Wednesdays, Thursdays, Sundays, every other Friday. Okay. And the rest of the week, I'm um, in and out of the salon and at home, and I do admin work from home, and then I take care of my three-year-old. So (laughs) I'm home in the middle of the day a lot, just depending on the day. Yeah, it's weird. When I started working for myself, I became what I referred to as one of the day people. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Because when I was working corporate... Uh, I was always locked in a, you know, the 22nd floor of a filing cabinet like every day. And anytime you'd be sort of out and about, it's like, who are these people who are just out, you know, like living their lives in the middle of the day. And now (laughs) that's right. (laughs) And I got to, uh, I got to join them and God, it was so freeing. It feels great. Um, how long have you owned your own business? Well, I've owned Revolver for six years now. Okay. Um, I did own, I was a partner in another salon for a year prior to that. I've worked for myself for a while. Okay. So this is Kitty Vincent. She is the owner of Revolver Salon. Great shot, great spot on Colfax. I've been, I'm sad to say I haven't been in there because I have a very long-term relationship with my own stylist, but I've uh, been by there many times because I used to work when I became one of the day people at Hooked on Colfax and you're not far from there. Oh, we're right across the street. Yeah. We know all those guys. They're friends. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, and what a great vibe in there. What a cool spot. Like, I love going in there. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's it's a, it's a definitely a little neighborhood in that, on that part of Colfax and all business is no other. So not to dwell on something that you wrote five years ago, but I was going around your site 
and you had a blog post about booth rental versus commission. And I found that yeah. really insightful because I, it's been a long time since I've talked to a stylist uh, on this show, but the difference between the two was really stark to me. Can you kind of articulate what that is and maybe the pros and cons of each? Well, there's two basic models in the salon business. Um, you can be a commission stylist or you can be a booth renter. Booth renter. There, and there are a couple other things you can do, but that's the, if you're a salon owner, you tend to own one or the other. And a commission stylist, they make a commission generally roughly 50% of the service money that they bring in. And then the, the salon provides them everything. They provide, you know, the color and the supplies and the shampoo and all of the things. And they're, they're a, a proper W-2 employee. And a booth renter works for themselves. They essentially rent a space in the salon. I, as their owner, I'm basically their landlord. I set basic rules for them. But they come and go as they please. They provide themselves with all of their own, you know, supplies and they keep most of their money except for the rent that they pay to me. There are pros and cons of both for it's if you're starting out in the salon business or you are, you just moved and you don't have a lot of clientele, you want to work commission because you don't want to have a fixed expense every single week going out that you, and you don't know how much money you've got coming in. Um, and it's a great way to build a clientele. Sure. Yeah. If you've been doing this for a long time and you have a really full clientele, um, monetarily, it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to be giving half of your income back to the salon. Right. Uh, I think that makes good sense. If people are coming to see you regularly, I know I was at sort of a, I wouldn't call it a larger chain, but um, my girl, when she left, she's like, hey, I'm going over to this other place. Do you want to come with me? And I go, of course. Like, you, I've cultivated this relationship. And one thing that's interesting to me, I thought about this, and I wanted your take on this um, before we get back into that is I've seen her now roughly once a month for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And we get together and we have a conversation for like an hour. I know all about her kids I or her daughter. She only has one kid. I know about her life. I know about everything that's going on. And I'm thinking, you know, this is probably in a weird way without me planning it, one of the bigger friendships that I have in my life. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and it's strange that as a salon owner and as someone who's been doing this for long enough, your relationships have to be pretty deep with, uh, I mean, how many regular clients would you say you have? At the moment, well, I only work behind the chair part-time, so it's pared down a bit. But I don't know. I probably have 80 regular clients that, you know, every six to eight weeks. Yeah. Is that, I mean, that's a lot of relationships to keep in your head. And I would imagine that your clients feel the same way that I feel about my stylist. In that I look forward to it. I leave there looking great. I feel terrific. And we have a terrific conversation. We have great rapport. Is it ever hard to keep those people straight in your head? Because that that's, feels like a lot of relationships to maintain. Only at first. I feel like I have a three-visit rule. If I've seen you fewer than three times, I might not remember those details. <laughs> and I might have to ask you again. But if I've seen you more than three times, I'm probably going to remember you know, who you are, what you do for a living, you know, what your family is like, at least the basic details. And I have clients I've been seeing for 16 years plus. And yeah, I mean, some of those are like my longest relationships in my life. And I think that's the same for them with me, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. And the, and the weird thing is like we ran into each other sort of outside of that context. 
it felt a little strange just because the dynamic was different, but you know, like we picked up right where we left off. Um, it, it's not like I'm calling her and we're hanging out regularly, but to have that sort of regular interaction is kind of rare, even with my close, close friends. So I, I think what you do is kind of special in that way. You know, I find that to be especially true about men. Men are my most loyal, most long-term clients. And they tell me things they don't tell their best friends or their wives Mm. or their families. And I don't mean that in an illicit way. I just mean, I think part of it is that I'm an impartial person to them. I don't know the people that they know. I'm not going to judge their stuff. But also, I think with men in particular, men don't have the same kind of intimate relationships with their male friends that women have Mm. with their female friends. And they don't tell their male friends certain things. And I'm like an, a good ear for those things. That's cool. I, I mean, did you anticipate that when you got into this line of work? And what ultimately led you to getting into this? No, I had no, no idea what I was getting myself into. I, um, I, was, I had dropped out of art school. I was, um, I was playing in bands. And I wanted a job that would allow me to have flexibility with my hours, have weird hair, wear tattoos, and I didn't want to get up before 10 in the morning. That was really my criteria. (laughs) Well, and what a specific set of criteria, too. Um, Well, plus I, I, I did my own hair a lot. Like, I would color it and cut it, and then I had this stylist that I would go to who would, like, fix me. And I was 22, and she... She was, and I was like, I don't know what to do with my life. And she was like, why don't you go to hair school? So I just thought, well, I'll give that a try. And here we are 18 years later. Well, it's a different kind of just art medium when you get right down to it. What were you going to art school for? Like what, what was your ultimate design on a career, you know, doing art school? I don't know. My focus was in photography and this was back when you were still using actual dark rooms. (laughs) Right. Um, I don't know that I had a plan though. Like I was just floating through (laughs) probably why i dropped out (laughs) well sure yeah if if that lasts too long i mean i've told this story too many times on this show but i hated all my business classes and if i kept doing that i would have dropped out too but uh, i found my speech class and I, i was doing great at it and i go wow okay i can major in this and i got really excited about it and i was off to the races there so when you were doing, when you started doing hair, did it come naturally to you? Did was it something that grabbed you? Were you excited about it? I was always ambivalent about hair in the beginning. Um, I loved working with my hands and being creative. I liked working with people, although I was very introverted, so that was something that um, required a lot of energy on my part. Yeah. Um, and but I always just thought, I don't know. I was I was very like, you know, punk rock and. I also like wanted to be a writer and I thought of myself as very deep or whatever. And <laughs> I wasn't sure that a career that focused on surface level things would ultimately be the right place for me in this business. I think there's a place for everyone. There's all kinds of people in the world and all those people need their hair done. And what I ultimately came to decide was um, doing hair for me is less about beauty and creating, you know, something on the surface and much more about helping someone find who it is they are in there and helping bring that out. And, you know, I, I create confidence more than beauty. And that was where I found my place in this industry. Dude, that is incredibly poetic. 
and it's it's odd because it lines up philosophically with something that I do in my job, which I, I'm a communications coach. So, you know, I work with people, public speaking opportunities, going in front of the camera, doing media opportunities. And I say, look, there is no template for the best type of speaker. All I want to do is help the best version of you emerge. So that was reflected in exactly what you said. And I thought, that's fantastic. And it kind of leads me to a question where... Do people ever come in with this idea, like, I really want this for my hair? And you go, oh, that's not going to work with the shape of your face or the type of your hair. And how do you talk them off the ledge? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens all the time. Where people will come in with an unrealistic photo. And for, <laughs> for me, it's less about the shape of your face. All face shapes can wear all lengths, short, long, whatever. It just needs adjustment for them. But, you know, sometimes someone will come in with a photo of, like, beautifully, perfectly curled, styled, whatever, hair, and they have, like, just the straightest hair in America. And, like and like me and my daughter. <laughs> Grace and I, it's just, it sticks straight. There's, there's nothing to it. Like, it doesn't curl ever. Yeah, and, and I'll explain, like, I can give you this haircut, but it's not, it's not going to look like this at all. Even if you spend all day styling it, it's not going to look like this. And then, and then we'll have to have a conversation about what their palette is and where we're starting, what we're working with, and what makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny with my hair. I like to lengthen my face a little bit, so I like height on top. Um, so I've always kind of worn it up. And, you know, like been some bumps in the road getting there from time to time. And, you know, you go with sort of the, the trends of the day and things like that. But I'm quite pleased with where I'm at today. So, um, I think your hair looks great. Oh, thank you. That, <laughs> that, uh, that means a ton to me. Uh, <laughs> so once you get done uh, you know, going to hair school, what was the next step for you? Uh, well, for most hairdressers and for me, uh, the next step is to get an apprenticeship. And I, um, I worked at a salon called The Parlor, which is pretty well known in Denver. There's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And that was... That was a really though I really lucked out. That was a great place for me to start. They have a really, really solid apprenticeship program. And you spend a year just, you know, um, working under really advanced stylists, doing their shampoos and their blow dries and all of the grunt work and folding towels and the you know, your free time. They teach you what how to be a hairdresser. And then, you know, after that year's over, you start doing it and you start taking clients and you learn and you build and you go from there. So, okay, you probably actually know my girl then. Were you at the parlor downtown? I was. Okay, when were you there? It's been a minute. It's probably been 12 years since I worked there. Okay, because that's right around when I started going there. And so, yeah, that's funny. We'll, we'll talk off mic about that. Just, okay. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so eventually, going back to you know your, your post about commission versus booth renting. Um, there's, there's some risk involved in the leap there. And I, mm. I've spent a lot of time on this show talking to entrepreneurs and everything seems so daunting about what you do. And one of the things I liked that you wrote was you hired a bookkeeper and you hired an accountant. Yeah. And, I don't <laughs> no, me either. And like, I'm not trained in that. I, I have no desire to learn tax law. Yeah, me either. <laughs> Uh, but I think, you know, my show's called John of All Trades. So I'll talk to other kind of solo entrepreneurs and they're like, wow, you have an accountant like just for you and your business? I go, of course I do. Why don't you, why, why are you spending so much time on this low value kind of thing? Yeah. Um, 
How was it making the leap for you? Uh, you know, it felt really natural. For years, um, my clients would ask me if that was something I wanted to do, become a salon owner. And my answer was always no, because I don't want to work that hard. <laughs> and then, um, I don't know, at some point, I just realized working for other people doesn't work for me. Hell yeah, I, preach it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a team player. And I, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't go with the flow. I, I like to get things done and I don't like working for people if I feel like they're not getting things done. And I don't, you know, I just, so I'm a difficult employee and, I, <laughs> and I realized if I was going to stay in this business, I, I was, I was not going to work for anybody else again. And I had also like, I went back to school and I got my degree in English, which is not related, obviously, but I think doing that gave me a much different sense of myself and my own abilities than what I was capable of. And so I just, yeah, I just took the leap. I did, you know, I started out, I bought into a salon where I was working and it was just like a serendipitous, like one of the partners left and the other partner needed help and you know, it, the buy-in wasn't a ton of money. And I just thought, well, I, I bet I could do that. So I, I sort of put my hat in the ring there and then that didn't work it out at all. Like that, that partnership was literally the worst thing. <laughs> Why? What happened? Were you like oil and water? <laughs> oh yeah. And she, you know, I did not feel that she was running the salon well. And I, the way that she managed the money was I'm just going to say illegal. Just Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, just, and she did not like me coming in and telling her that. And it was a real problem. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> uh, if, if someone's managing the money illegally and you're coming in as part owner, yeah, I'd say that's a problem. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't feel like she was that smart. <laughs> There are a lot of issues. Well, okay. So, God, a lot to unpack there. You and I, in so many ways, are like kindred spirits. I am not a, like I am a good employee. I will work my ass off. But but if something's like arbitrary or amiss, I'm going to call it out or ignore it. And a lot of people don't like that. Yeah. Um. And I'm I'm just thoroughly a pain in the ass when I work for other people. Just me too. In so many yeah. ways. I always say on this show, like, I have had a problem with every single boss I've ever had except one. And I'm like, at some point you go, uh, it's probably not all them. Right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. The, the problem is probably me. I need to look internally about this. But what's so funny is I love the impetus because I relate to this on such a level that you see the way things are being done and you go, are you kidding me? I can do this better. Like, <laughs> like th- if this person is doing this, I should be able to figure this out. Yeah, yeah. And so you just do it. I mean, I remember listening to the radio. I'm like, why is it so hard to make a good radio show? (laughs) And so in college, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go down to the stupid, to the, you know, college radio station. I'm going to get my own show and I'm going to put on the show I want to listen to. Yeah. And like, it's a very proactive way to solve your problems. And so, like, that's super cool that, uh, when did you open Revolver? I opened Revolver in August of 2014. So we're right on our six year anniversary here. Nice. Okay. I don't know what it is about 14 and 15, but so many people I know and so many people on the show started their business, including me. I started mine in April of 15. But it's like 14 and 15, those are the two years when people are like, to hell with this, I'm out. 
Yeah, maybe maybe like the planets aligned or, you know, some astrology. <laughs> maybe maybe Mercury was in the opposite of retrograde, whatever that right. is. Right? <laughs> but um okay, so you open revolver. Um Yeah, so so I extricated myself from that partnership which was just a nightmare. And but I did and then I thought, well, I'm never working for anybody else again and I'm never having a partner again. So I you know, I started looking for a space and it was crazy because um, that summer I'd been in a car accident and my, and I was, um, I had shattered my right foot. So I was like, I couldn't work. I couldn't walk. Um, I was in, you know, traction. I was, I was in a cast for six months Jeez. And, <laughs> and I spent the early part of that time sitting on my couch with my leg up, um, writing my business plan and trying to secure my funding and then once I was able to like walk with my cast, we started looking for places. And that's how we did that. How was it writing your business plan and how was it getting funding? Was that tough? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're an inexperienced female, you know, I want to open a business and it's going to be brick and mortar and we're going to have a rent and all the things. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have all this overhead, right? Yeah. Nobody's going to give you a loan. That's literally not, it's not a thing. <laughs> Plus I had, I didn't have good credit partly because of a previous divorce and partly because I worked in an industry where I didn't have health insurance for years and all of these things. And partly because of the, you know, separation with that business partner. So yeah, alone wasn't going to happen. I, I was fortunate and privileged enough that, you know, my, my father, my parents were able to put a small chunk of money in a secured account, which allowed me to get a secured business loan. Nice. That, okay. That was the only way that was going to happen. Well, uh, come to my house sometime and you'll see the house I'm living in. I cannot afford this house without help. Like <laughs> through, this is a long story more than I want to get onto here, but, um, through some inheritance, my parents are like, you shouldn't have to wait for us to croak to enjoy this money. <laughs> and I go, that's an extremely generous view of the world. But so like, I hear you on that, you, like getting some help. And yeah, it is. I mean, it's privileged. It's, it's wonderful that, that we have parents in the position to help us like that. Yeah. I would never pretend that like I strapped my way here. I, you know, oh, me neither. No way. My parents didn't give me like a King's ransom, but it was enough. And without their help, there's no way. And that's, that's one of the crappy things about, you know, the small business world in America, whatever we can go into the politics of that, but you know, someone, someone should be able to secure a small loan with a good business plan and, you know, but it's not, it's not reality. Yeah. And I mean, you, you pointed out something too. There's a lot of ingrained sort of sexism and misogyny in, in the structures in our society. And you said as a woman, I mean, you, yeah. you put that right out there. Um, I think that's true. And I, it, I think that's total bullshit and it sucks. It does. It is bullshit. <laughs> and, a, and a lot of that was also my reality when it came to finding a space, securing a lease, all of those things. Your gender does play into it. And I got talked to like a little girl a lot of times. And, sure. And, and you show up with like tattoos, right? And right. You know, so you, you get it launched. Um, and how quickly did you did you find success? How quickly did you feel comfortable or do you feel comfortable today? Uh, I mean, I did until COVID hit. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> sure. Um, it, the first two years were very, very scary. I Most of my staff probably don't even know that. But 
So I had this plan, right? I was going, I had a, a couple of stylists from the salon I had left. I wanted to take with me. I had a large clientele I was going to take with me, but because my car accident happened and I was out for six months, oh, no. the, the partner I had worked with at that salon took all of my clientele. She told them she didn't know where I went and I was never coming back. So huh. they were just gone in the wind. Um, a lot of the stylists I had wanted to take with me didn't want to work there with just her there. So they found other salons and, you know, they didn't want to move again. So I opened with nothing. I mean, I had 25% of my previous clientele. I had no staff at all. I had to start, you know, from Craigslist and build a staff. And, um, it was terrifying when we opened the doors. Um, I had, I had found two other people willing to come take a chance and a brand new owner. They didn't know in a new salon. Yeah. Thank goodness for them. And I, I had a small clientele and I worked my ass off. I was there seven days a week. I took every person that came through the door. I advertised everywhere I could think of social media, Yelp, you name it. We did it all. And I worked, you know, I worked the desk. I did all the towels. I did all of the cleaning. I answered the phones. I, in between clients, I, I worked like I've never worked before. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 price of your dream, right? Yeah, and that was like with a foot that was still healing. <laughs> oh God, and you still had the bum wheel too, Kitty. Like that story is harrowing <laughs> to listen to. I, I mean, the the timing of the car accident and the fact that you still persevered and managed to open this thing is remarkable. I mean, listen, I'm just stubborn as fuck. Like I get something in my head and I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I mean, some measure of that is really, really useful, and you're, you're proof positive of that. Wow. Okay. So those first two years, you're you're working seven days a week. Do you have any sense for what worked in growing it, or was it just the sheer volume of efforts and attempts that you made? Do you think? Yeah, I think that's what it was. I think it was just sheer tenaciousness. Like I just, I wasn't going to fail. Like that money my parents set aside for me, I wasn't going to lose that for them. Like I wasn't going to fuck this up. So yeah, I think it was just like sheer stubborn willpower and (laughs) just absolute force of will (laughs) and refusing to die. That's awesome. And that, you know, I do think, I do think I'm okay at managing people. Like I'm, I, I managed to, you know, find enough staff who were willing to come on board and be part of this journey. But I lost a lot too. The first year we had so much turnover. It was crazy because I was just hiring anyone who would work in a chair because that brings money in. That's how, you know, in other businesses, employees cost money, but in mine, they bring in revenue. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because if, if, if you don't have someone's hair, like if you don't have someone in the shop, you're not making money. Right. So I just hired everybody and some of them turned out to be crazy and some of them were drug addicts and like some of them got fired immediately. Like there was a lot of turnover, but we did eventually build a team that was great together. And that was, I mean, my team, our team is our biggest strength now. That's, that's awesome. Makes the salon run. So when I was in college, I used to just go to the super cuts down the street, right? Cause you know, college dude, like I'm an idiot. But what was so weird about that supercuts is I don't think I had the same person cut my hair twice. Like Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's what it's turn and burn. 
I don't, I know nothing about, you know, great clips or super cuts or fantastic Sam's and their business model, but is that, is that the way it works? You just get people in. Where do they go then? Like, if they're there for a little bit, then what happens to them? Where do they go? A lot of people start out their career in those places. So they're inexperienced. They're, that, that's a way for them to get experience and to make a paycheck while getting experience. For them, I mean, the business model is they, they pay those stylists minimum wage plus tips. Oh. And, you know, and they, they make hourly, I think. And they, you know, they have like 12 minutes to do a haircut. And they just, oh, that's how they make money is like just rapid turnover. So it's a factory, basically. It's a factory. That's right. Okay. And it was always strange to me. Not only did I not have the same hairstylist, I feel like no one ever cut my hair the same way twice. Like, well, yeah, because there's not a lot of, I mean, there's some training there, but there's not extensive training. So there, you know, everybody there has different levels of abilities. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're really spinning the roulette wheel when you go to a place like that, aren't you? <laughs> uh, question I have for you is, it's funny. You said, you know, you don't work well with, uh, for others, right? You're not a good employee and stuff. Now you are team leader. Yeah, it's weird. How, <laughs> how, how has it been finding those rhythms, and have you hit any bumps along the road? Oh, so many bumps. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm a person who I spent my whole life being super anti-establishment and like fuck the man, mm-hmm. and now I'm the man. So it's weird, and it's weird within myself, like finding finding a balance between needing to have a well-run team and needing to be in charge and needing to make sure that, you know, rules are followed and all of those things. And also not wanting to really impose my will over others and step on people because that's not my management style. I don't always get it right. (laughs) Have you ever seen a documentary called the other F word? Uh, About fathers? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Yeah, with like Fat Mike and Jim Lindbergh and yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> um, it's always funny when punks grow up. Yeah, and for sure. <laughs> because like I, I mean, I'm punk rock dad at this point too. So it's like one thing I never wanted to be in my life was a cop, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yet I'm constantly having to police behavior and break up fights in this house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I have these two kids yeah. that will get in each other's shit, and it's like just get away from each other for a little bit. And I, you know, I have to kind of lay down the law because if I don't, they're going to grow up to be pricks. Right. Exactly. And so like, you can't have that. We're like, we're trying to have a society here. So it like trying to find that, like, I want to encourage them to speak up and, you know, not take any, any garbage from bullshit authority. Yeah. But it's like, you kind of also need to go to bed at a certain time tonight. You know what I mean? I know it. I'm a parent too. I'm in that same boat. (laughs) Yeah, it's- and, and I was raised by a parent like that. I was raised by a really anti-establishment, baby boomer mother who was, you know, always questioned authority. That was like what she brought me up for. And then that really fucking backfired on her. When I was <laughs> but like, I'm sure she expected that. <laughs> it's a delicate balance, right? <laughs> it's uh, you're trying to thread a needle here that is so <laughs> tough to thread. And so it's funny, like for me, I never wanted to be responsible for someone else's rent. You've got a team under you, but you're not necessarily responsible for their rent because they're they're almost like their own business at this point. Do you have like a mix of booth renters versus commission folks or is it is it weighted one way or the other? I have almost all booth renters. I usually have one commission person in the salon and that's someone who's building and working towards booth rental. And then when they 
you know, make that transition, I'll usually hire another commission person because I like to have someone on staff to like take walk-ins and be available for that stuff. Yeah. But that's one of the reasons I chose a booth rental salon because I want independent people who are self-motivated. I don't want to micromanage or babysit hairdressers. I just don't have the energy for that. So I choose people who are really good at running their own stuff. I step back. I let them do their jobs. I give them guidelines, what I do and don't expect inside the salon. But outside of that, you know, I don't, I don't want to be in charge of their lives. <laughs> well, and I mean, I, I figure with, you know, a salon like Revolver, because when you go to your website and you look at your, you know, your logo, there's, there's obviously like a vinyl feel to it. You know, it's this very like hip kind of cool aesthetic. People are going to self-select that that's the type of vibe I want to come to. That's the type of clientele I want to cultivate people who want to come here. So after a certain point, did you have uh, stylists that were drawn to you and you, you didn't necessarily have to search as much? Yeah. I mean, we've gotten that from the beginning, people coming in and saying, you know, I love the Beatles. Like, Cause we had like revolver. It's a, it's a reference to the Beatles album and, Right. Uh, uh, so I definitely have people come in who are more in the alternative side of things and go to punk shows and, you know, but not, not all of my stylists. I would say we have a wide range. But, yeah, I mean, I've got the cool rockabilly girl and I've got the, you know, the girl that loves to go to clubs. And, I, you know, and a lot there's a lot of like pink and blue hair in the salon. It, it, that's true for sure. <laughs> do you Do you have any sort of like more just middle of the road people just... I mean, you are in yeah. a, you're in a hip part of Denver, so. I mean, the fact is, middle of the road is your bread and butter. I mean, there are plenty of like normal looking middle of the road people who like, still want to go to a cool hip salon and want their hairdresser to look cool, but they want normal hair. I mean, that's, you know, that's where all your money is. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, th those people need haircuts too, uh, <laughs> and you know, colors and things like that. I'm curious about the mix between men and women because I noticed, like, I was looking at your pricing and it, it's not broken down by gender, which I think is really good. I always thought that was a weird thing, like, at, uh, at salons where it's almost like women are having to pay a pink tax, even if you have short hair. Yeah. So, well, first of all, we have a really good mix. I would say we're maybe 50 50, 40 60 men to women. And, we change, we did do women's and men's cuts as is standard in the industry um, until, I don't know, two or three years ago, we decided to make that shift. And we did it really deliberately and conscientiously for a couple of reasons. The pink tax is among those reasons, but also because we serve a large community of LGBT, non-binary, et cetera. Yeah, no, yeah non-gender conforming, right? Correct. And we didn't want them to feel uncomfortable or, you know, when choosing a haircut, but we do it a little differently. Some salons that, that don't do gendered haircuts, they just, they do short haircuts and long haircuts. And, um, we thought a lot about that and I decided to use different language because, um, a short haircut can take just as long as a long haircut. Um, like a, like a really cool textured pixie cut can take me just as long as a women's long haircut. So we decided to use the language precision cut, which covers most of those. And then barbered cuts, which are cover a lot of like, you know, clipper work and work that is typically male, but not always. We have, you know, a handful of women and non-binary folks that like, you know, that get barbered haircuts. 
Yeah, I think that makes good sense. I think that's a really good way of doing it, too, because I'd, I'd never seen that language before. And it's one of those things where you see it and you go, oh, like, why wasn't it always this way? <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot of I actually thought about those the language for months. <laughs> I'll bet. Because, like, the terms are right on. I knew exactly what you were going for there with, with a barbered cut and a precision cut. And I go, okay, no, like, that feels obvious, but to get to that level of of sort of clarity had to just be, there were nights you were sweating blood over it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I had one particular stylist who, she was the person who brought this to me, who said, I think we should make this change. And I agreed with her. And um, so I spent some time thinking about the right way to do it. And she would, you know, she would sort of send me messages like, Hey, well, when do you think we should do this? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'd be like, I'm working it out. <laughs> Because I had stylists that were like, but I don't want to lose money on certain haircuts that are of a shorter length that still take me a long time. And like those stylists would be yeah. mad if I had done it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. You've got skin in the game at this point. <laughs> yeah. In a post-COVID world, first of all, take me through. I know my business fell off a cliff when COVID hit. <laughs> so I, I dropped by about 75% and that didn't feel good. Yeah. How long were you all out of commission and you have this sort of refusal to give in <laughs> and this this very stubborn way about you? How did you navigate that and, and what was it like, especially in the early days? I got to tell you, COVID's been such a ride. I am anxious by nature. I'm a worrier. And so Me I too. Can't... Me too. <laughs> I plan for things that don't necessarily end up happening, but I I watched COVID in China. And then I watched it come across Europe and I thought to myself, this is coming here and it's, it's going to happen. This is going to be a thing. So I started planning in my head for this in early February. And I started thinking about not knowing much. We didn't know anything about the virus yet. Right. But I, you know, I just thought to myself like, well, a terrible flu, how would I prevent that? And so um, I started thinking about all of the extra cleaning and sanitation measures we would have to put in place to keep people safe. And then towards the end of February, I started writing them down because I realized this is going to happen. And I started talking to my team about it. And then I remember this actually, March 6th was the first day there was community spread and like confirmed community spread in the city of Denver. And so um, at that point, I'd already talked to my team a bit about this. And so I said to them, like, emergency protocol, we are implementing this today. And I went around and I explained the basics to everyone. And then I called a meeting for our first day off, which was two days later. And I forced everyone to come in and I sat them down and I, I explained how like Italy had just shut down like the entire country and this is coming. And I talked about the Spanish flu and infection rates and death rates and the history behind this and like what we're actually dealing with. I wanted them to understand it. And then I, I handed them sheets that I had written out, like, here are all the things we're going to do, how we're going to clean everything, how we're going to make sure, like, we never reuse capes, all things like that. And, you know, and we got rid of all the beverages and all the magazines. And we did all this before shutdown happened. Wow. It, it, is it wrong that I kind of wish you worked for our federal government? Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> right? Tell me about it. I can't, I can't even with it. No, me either. And I, and I, and I took the protocols I had made and I sent them to every salon owner I knew. I sent them to our distributors and our reps who sent them out to salons around the country. 
I tried to share it. I've shared it on social social media and hairdresser groups. I tried to share it with as many people as possible. And some people were really thankful and some people were like, you're crazy. You know? <laughs> yeah. Jokes on them. Cause there were things on there where we were like, if you have any symptoms of any cold, you can't come in. And hairdressers were like, do you know how much money I would lose? And I was like, listen, this is happening. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> so while we were closed, so when we closed, it didn't surprise anyone. We saw it coming. And then we were closed for two months and I spent the entire time helping my staff try to figure out how to navigate unemployment, yeah. how to navigate the PPP loan. Mm-hmm. So that they were not going to be destitute. I set up a GoFundMe to distribute among the staff members. And I spent all of my time trying to figure out, A, how we were going to get the financial help we needed through all of the government loans and programs and grants, and which was like a full-time job by itself. And then... Um, were, you, what, were you successful? Yes, we did. We did secure, you know, the loans that were out there. I don't think it's the best solution, but it's what we have. <laughs> right, right. And I agree. I mean, I, I got a PPP loan for my business as well. It wasn't a ton of money since I worked just for me, but it, it was what was available. And so you, you take the help as it, as it's available. Yeah. And then I start, and then I spent the rest of the time figuring out what we we're going to need to do to reopen because our procedures upon closure were not going to be enough. Like at that point we didn't know COVID was probably airborne. And, you know, we weren't wearing masks. And right. so um, I, I was like heavily researching everything that was, you know, all of the new information coming out about the virus that I could find. I was talking to nurses and infectious disease experts and trying to figure out, like, how to keep my people safe and coming up with plans and procedures and, um, you know, the schedule, like we had to schedule everybody at, in every oh. other at 50% capacity. Let me tell you how excited 10 hairdressers were about that. So, <laughs> like, that was a nightmare, like managing that schedule and, you know, just all of the things like we wear uniforms now so that we can wash them every day. Like the second we get home and get in the shower, we behave like medical personnel. Wow. So we put all this together. I put all this together while we were close. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, and so I asked you about, you know, leadership. You're leading by example in that way, though, right? It's like... I know how to lead. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you are where the rubber meets the road for these folks because you right. it's it's ultimately your business, your name on the title. And it's That's like... Right. I don't have higher ups or stockholders or an HR department. I don't have anybody to do this for me. Yeah. Like, if I don't get this done, we don't do... It doesn't happen. How receptive was your staff to this? I mean, I, I know. Let's let's put aside the fact that everyone is pissed off and bitter about <laughs> about the fact that COVID is happening. How were they responding to you and the things that you were doing in addressing the challenges that we have? I had mixed results, which is to be expected. I think a crisis brings out whatever your personality really is. You know what I mean? So I lost. Since we've opened, I've lost four staff members in a, in a 10-chair salon. So that's significant. Yeah, that's – wow. And prior to that, we hadn't had turnover in three years. I mean, people just don't leave Revolver, really. So there are people who are, you know, super, super happy and grateful that – because we – I'll just tell you, we're going way above and beyond what, what the regulatory agencies require and what most salons are doing. Because my concern is like not killing people. I don't care about 
anything else like what like what dora says you know what i mean yeah like what what do we what do we owe each other for god's sakes like in terms of our humanity right exactly so we are we are among the most stringent of salons in anywhere really and so some people that work for me are really happy about that because they feel really safe there and they're really grateful that we're doing all of that and some people were just really not loving it and were you know, there was a lot of complaining and you know, not respectful behavior. Mm. And uh, some of them were let go and some of them left on their own. Understood. That, wow. That's tough. I mean, this, this current time we live in has been unprecedented in so many ways. And for you as a business owner, I mean, this, no one could have anticipated the level to which we would be up, upending our lives. And you said there hadn't been turnover in like three years. And now yeah. all of a sudden you have all this turnover that's got to be personally very challenging. How do you, how do you handle stress? How do you, do, how do you do self care? Like, because I, I know as a business owner, people always ask me, they're like, they're like, do you work harder? I go, well, I'm never done with work. Okay. Let me put, let me put it to you that way. There are times I choose not to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. You got it. Okay. So um, there's no such thing as self care when you have a three year old and a business in the middle of a pandemic. That's just not a thing. <laughs> As yes, uh, and as with a four and five year old, yes, I relate. <laughs> I'm certainly up to my dose of Zoloft. <laughs> That's probably wise. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. You know, wine and the occasional complete and total meltdown, and uh, you know, just get up and do it again the next day. <laughs> you know, I was what it was. Uh, it was on cable recently. I was watching Sleepless in Seattle, and of all things, right. The when he's on the phone with the radio shrink, she's like, you know, what are you gonna do? And he's like, I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and I'm gonna get out of bed and I'm gonna breathe and I'm gonna keep doing that until I get to the point where I don't have to remind myself to do those things. Yeah. And that feels right to me. Are you in terms of going forward as we approach the fall, are you optimistic? Are you neutral? Are you Anxious? I mean, you said you're always anxious, but how are you feeling heading into the next season? I'm truthfully trying to take it day by day. I We don't know what the future holds. I mean, maybe there'll be some miraculous vaccine. Maybe not. Maybe people won't want to take it. Maybe there'll be a huge outbreak, you know, from the fall happening. But I, you know, I try not to spiral out on those things. I don't have any control over them. So we're just going to keep going to work every single day, wearing our masks, cleaning everything, doing our very best until we don't have to do all this anymore. And that's, you're exactly right about that scene in Sleepless in Seattle. You just put one foot in front of the other until you're past it. And then you can reevaluate it later. <laughs> yeah. Then, then you can deal with the fallout once that happens. I don't want to end on such a grim apocalyptic note. So let's talk music <laughs> real quick. You uh you were kind enough to uh to give me a CD of your band. My um our band leader gave you that. Yeah. <laughs> your band leader. Yes. <laughs> um tell me about it. For for anyone who wasn't at the party where we met for the first time. Um <laughs> and you know hasn't hasn't had the opportunity to hear it. Tell me about it. Well, I've been playing in bands for 20 years. I'm in a I'm in a band called Zealot and it's a it's a funny project um so these are all people I've played with in previous bands and previous incarnations. <laughs> there we are. And um, in all previous bands, we had 
totally different roles. So Luke, who writes all of our songs and um, sings and plays rhythm guitar, uh, in a previous life was our drummer <laughs> in a different band. And um, I was generally the Luke, right? Like I wrote the songs and sang and played rhythm guitar. And in this band, I play lead guitar and I sing a little backup. Nice. Which is new for me. It's a challenge for me. I don't, I'm not a lead guitarist. <laughs> and our drummer used to play bass. <laughs> when you say you're not a lead guitarist, I, I know what that means, but break it down for me, lead versus rhythm guitar. Um, so I'm used to just strumming chords and playing along with whatever I'm singing. You know, lead is a lot of riffs and a lot of finger work and a lot of more advanced guitar playing. Okay. Mildly. And I'm, I'm just not an advanced guitar player, although I'll tell you, I've gotten better since Luke made me start doing this. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> and I think it's good to get pushed out of your comfort zone, too. Yeah. So he just had this idea, like, since... So, okay, so we had this big breakup, and he wrote this record. And the record is um, about a werewolf having a existential crisis uh, and you know that's Luke's breakup that's how he writes a breakup record and he <laughs> you know and the werewolf is like I don't know if I want to be immortal I don't you know I don't know if I'm good or bad <laughs> so and he decided that since he's not doing anything in his comfort zone the rest of us couldn't be either so that's how this all came to be and then <laughs> and I I had a six-month-old baby and I thought well you know it gets me out of the house great I'll do it and <laughs> and um at first we really sounded pretty garagey but uh I, we've all gotten a lot better and we're working on the second record now and it's it's been a lot of fun and i love these guys i've loved them for years they're you know we just get i just get to hang out with friends well what's so funny to me is you you all gave me this cd the book of ramifications and you have 12 tracks on here and then you have 12 different people covering your songs <laughs> which I, again like the fact that luke is pushing everyone out of their comfort zone and then saying we're going to release an album and then we're going to have everyone immediately cover it so that like people can hear this different take i i've never been handed anything like that and i love it so much <laughs> yeah i've never done anything like it when he proposed to me i said well that's either the most narcissistic thing I've ever heard, or it's visionary. I, yeah. <laughs> I do think it's <laughs> I do think it's visionary, and it's it's just brilliant. Like the the all of us as a group have been playing in bands in Denver for so many years. We have so many friends in other bands. We so we just have, you know, these are just our friends playing these songs, and uh, they did it because mostly because they like Luke and he's very personable. <laughs> and I said to Luke, "What you know? What happens when these songs come back and they're." far superior to our versions of that, which I do think happened on a couple of instances. <laughs> uh, and, and what did he say to that? He said, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> let's just do it. Perfect. It's like, I don't know. Let's see what happens. Who cares? Like, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's awesome. It's always weird to like when you hear a band do a better version of the original song. Like, uh, one of my favorite songs was Soulmate by Strung Out. Or, I'm sorry, I stepped on the punchline here. Soulmate by No Use for a Name. And then Strung Out covered it on the Tony Sly tribute. And I go, oh, shit, this is better. Like, they, they punched this song up. And, you know, it, if Tony Sly weren't dead, I, I wonder how he'd feel about that. But I think he'd be okay with it because it's like, look, you took what we had. You took it in a different direction. That's fun. I mean, it's almost like an improv game at that point. Yeah, I mean, either 
way, I think it's a really, um, it's a lovely compliment for them yeah. to say, we like it enough to cover it. And here's how great we think the song could be. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Before we go back to Revolver, give me the plugs for Zealot. Where can people find Zealot? Where can they get hooked up with your music? Uh, anything you want to plug? Do it now. Um, okay, so Zealot is on Bandcamp. I think it's Zealot Co. Because there's there's some other Zealots out there. Um, there is there's a website, but you know what? I'm gonna get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? How, how about this? No need to put you on the spot. What we'll do is I'll, I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, or uh, iHeartRadio or the John of All Trades website. It'll be in the show notes and the companion blog piece. So we'll make sure oh, we found, get... Oh, perfect. I found it. It's zealot.cool. Zealot.cool. <laughs> um, the extensions can really be anything now, can't they? I know. I know it. <laughs> um, perfect. So zealot.cool. And then give me the plugs for Revolver. Where are you all located? Give me your website. Anything else you want to plug? Do it now. We are located on the corner of Colfax and Steele, kind of in the Bluebird neighborhood. Our website is revolversalondenver.com. You can book appointments through there. Um, we, you know, we would love, you can always give us a call to book. You can book online. You can read our, our, all of our COVID procedures on our website. You can read about all our stylists, decide who you'd love to see. Uh, well, Kitty, I'll tell you what. I was so happy when we got introduced. Shout out to Cecile, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cecile and Jeff. And uh, it's always cool meeting like fellow creatives, fellow entrepreneurs in Denver. And I mean, I've been, as I've said, I've been by your salon so many times. It seems like such a cool vibe. I can't cheat on mine, obviously. But anyone else who is looking, <laughs> um, anyone else uh, out there looking, I think you'd do very, very well to go to Revolver. So, Kitty Vincent, this was an enormous pleasure and continued success to you. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. And that'll do it for episode 265 of the John of All Trades podcast with Kitty Vincent. What a cool chick, right? I mean, fantastic. What a journey. What a story. What a cool salon. What a cool band. Check out all of those things, whatever podcatcher you're listening on. Hey, and while you're there, leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you. Episode previews go up on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I not only do this show, but I produce three, and coming soon, five other shows for people. So, if you have an idea for a podcast, hit me up. I'll be happy to take it from idea all the way to your first episode and beyond if you like. D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. The John of All Trades podcast is sponsored by 4 Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, running a campaign, doing some social media marketing, online advertising, building a website, trying to reach communities that matter to you, 4 Degrees can help you do it better. I love their work. I'm proud that they're my sponsor. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Stay up with me on social. J-O-A-G pod is the handle across platforms. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. You know what? I'm back next week with a brand new episode. You're going to love it. We're rolling on. Going into fall, again, my silver medal of the season. I hope it's your gold medal. I hope you're loving every second of it. Take care of yourselves. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Wear your damn mask. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.